Welcome to the Three to Ten Project. Two white, cisgendered males who've been friends for over 25 years, exploring race, gender, and education by talking through the intersection of our experiences with what we're reading, listening to, and thinking about. And most importantly, considering how to show up moving forward. It's a long-term commitment, three to 10 years of anti-racist culture building. I'm Mark. I'm Reed. Just a quick note on the name for this podcast. Three to 10 Project has been borrowed from Resma Menicum. You can learn more about this idea and about Resma at the link shared in the podcast description. Let's get to it. Yep, and that's Mark's footsteps. Turns out he's a bit more coherent when he is running. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Reed. <laughs> out for a cold run today, huh? Although now I'm about a mile, mile and a half in. And even though it's 24 degrees and no sun, I'm now starting to warm up. So just a reminder for everyone out there that the first 10 minutes of the run, you're supposed to be cold so that then you, you warm up so you don't overdress. So yeah, I'm doing okay. So what are you wearing? Yeah. Can you, what, what did you wear for the 24 degree run uh, in snow? Yeah. Well, it's not snowing, but it's yeah. In fact, I'll tell you, I actually did a lesson the other day. I coached a bunch of people on Marblehead, and I brought all these this gear. And I was like, all right, this is the stuff you can wear. Like, we need to film this. So someday I'll do a podcast, maybe a video cast about this. Anyway, so uh, on the head, I'm wearing a... Uh, icebreaker, which is like merino wool. Um, uh, what do they call buff, right? The thing that you can pull on your head, your yeah. neck, or across your face. It's pretty big, and it's merino wool. Merino wool is the the name of the game here. So on my hands, I have fairly thin merino wool mittens. And what I find is those work really well because they're light, they're soft, and because they're mittens, your fingers can warm each other. Um, and then as a base layer shirt, I have a merino wool shirt. And then over that shirt, long sleeve shirt, and then over that, I have a vest. That's kind of my most important item is like, you know, this type of zip-up vest that, you know, if, it, if you could wear it with a t-shirt, you could wear it with uh, more clothing like today. It just keeps the core really warm, and it's a windbreaker, and it's water-resistant. So it, that's the most important item I recommend to people. Uh, and then I'm wearing, I'm trying a new thing. You know, I always wear compression socks that go up to my knees, but the same company makes a compression arm sleeve. 
And so I have that on my arms that goes from my wrist to kind of right over my biceps. So uh, it's like extra warmth and compression on the arms. And then I'm wearing like a, you know, a spandex um, shorts and then like uh, tights, long tights over those. And that's what I got. Yeah. And my new, I will say one more thing. My new favorite thing that I've really come to believe in is every run now I'm wearing a nose strip that opens up your nose. You know, it looks like a Band-Aid over your nose. Breathe breathe right. Yeah, breathe right. I got the cheap version. Yeah, CVS generic version. And uh, I've been doing a lot of nose breathing while running. In fact, I pretty much keep my mouth shut the entire time unless I'm talking to you. And uh, and I feel totally different in my ability to breathe through my nose than without it. Yeah, that's the outfit. Got it. Well, I was, I'm was i supposed to do a run, and I was going to do a run later, but I don't have any merino wool, so my run is canceled. So thanks. Uh, <laughs> Well, we're five days from Christmas, and I've given myself permission this year to buy myself as many Christmas gifts as I want. So, is I that may, right? Okay. Yeah, I may I may do some shopping just for myself later today. All right, I've learned all I need to learn from about running today. So, what else are we going to learn? <laughs> oh, I don't know what we're going to learn, but what we're going to talk about. So, all right, here's the deal, right? I don't know how much we need to go through the whole context, but we need to just remember that we, hi, good morning. We had um, one of our listeners suggest that we read an article um, and the author of that article is someone that's been recommended to me by a colleague. And then that same colleague recommended a podcast to listen to with this guy and so the author's name is John McWhorter and he is a black man who is a professor at Columbia I think in linguistics and he uh, does a lot of writing he's an author as well um, writes books and and Sam Harris is the podcaster that he was speaking to and Sam Harris is in the meditation mindfulness space. I had never heard of him. Um, and his podcasts, I think range all over the place. I don't think it's just about mindfulness and meditation. The podcast with John had nothing to do with mindfulness. So, you know, we listened to this, you and I both listened to this, uh, podcast. We asked our listener to listen as well. And then we listened to a podcast by, or we at some point I listened to Resmo Menekin and Robin D'Angelo on a podcast through On Being. And we were just going to kind of talk about the two podcasts. I think that's where we're at today. What do you think about that? 
Sounds good. It's been a while since I listened to the Menicum uh, and uh, D'Angelo podcast, which is actually from On Being. Um, but I shall. Uh, but but the lessons, you know, run deep. So it's it's within me somewhere. Yeah, I I think I think the one I'd like to focus a little bit more actually on the Sam Harris John. Oh, I forget his last name again. McKellar. McWhorter. <laughs> McWhorter. Okay, now I have the name in my head incorrectly. Okay, I'm just going to call him John. <laughs> Sam and John. So I think you know, there's they, plenty there to unpack. We, we can talk <laughs> more time than we right. have. So, you know, here's where I want to begin. He, you know, this guy's a linguist, and, you know, he's he feels free to talk on many subjects as pretty clear from listening to him. And he, in very briefly, summarizes the phonics whole language debate as very clear and the phonics people, I mean, very the phonics people are right and the whole language people are wrong. And doesn't get into any of the nuance, complexity, or he just uses it as an opportunity to sh- to make a point that progressives think they know what they're talking about, but really don't. And that's been proven. Here's my example, phonics whole language. And yeah. he doesn't even say whole language, but that's what he's talking about. Right. And I was like, all right. That to me was like his argument as in a nutshell which so the whole podcast to me really just felt like sweeping generalizations that I almost you know in a way I felt like they were going after the woke progressives but in a way basically trying to be more woke than the woke progressives in their own way yeah and found it so off-putting and not not like sophisticated just like a like a blunt instrument of messaging that just didn't add to the conversation to me other than you know what was interesting is there was a black man who was really pushing back against progressivism in a lot of ways. And um, that was the difference. But other than that, I was like, this is just more rhetoric with no um, no real uh, close look or uh, examination of the of the complexity of the issues. So yeah. What did you think? What is your what your reaction? So one, just a just a little bit of context. I mean, first uh, there was this Atlantic article that was entitled "The, the Dehumanizing Condescension of White <laughs> Fragility." So just just to make sure we understand what we're talking about here. I mean, he's positioned himself. Uh, and I actually went on his Twitter, and it's interesting. Like the first couple things that show, I don't go on Twitter much. I, it's probably not most recent things. Maybe it's tweets that 
No, actually, uh, I'm looking right now, just 15 hours ago. So his two most recent tweets, at least showing up, are both sort of going after Kendi, um, Ibram Kendi. Yeah. A lot of the practice. Right. So he seems to be positioning himself. I, I, don't, I don't, maybe this is sounding cynical, but it seems like he, he's, with the rise of some of these very prominent, let's call them anti-racist voices, Kendi yeah. certainly being one, and, and D'Angelo probably being, the one of the more prominent white voices in that space. He he's kind of positioned himself the right? most prominent white voice. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. Mean, I, keep going. I, yeah. Yeah. I think she probably. Yeah. Okay. Fine. She is. So, um, I I think he's found his niche as he seems to be bringing them up as as to give himself credibility. Um, maybe I right. don't know. Um, right. And uh, so the podcast. What what I also just want to mention the the uh, title of that episode of the podcast that we listened to. Um, which was uh, the new religion of anti-racism. And they really talked right. about the, the concept of religion uh, th that yeah. the, uh, you know, anti-racists are, are pious. They're approaching it like a religion. And um, Harris uh, calls it, a, you know, a cult. And then he says, you know, well, it could be a religion. It's just a, a matter of how many subscribers you have, you know, to go from cult to religion. Right. So, right. so all of that, but here's the, so, Here's the thing, though, that I think we should talk about. You know, you just said they make these sweeping statements. I think his biggest criticism is that the problem with anti-racist woke crowd is that they make a lot of sweeping statements. And I was trying to interrogate my own thinking uh, as I was listening to a different um, book while I was running yesterday and how much you know, where do we fall into that, right? We hear something that we like, oh, that's truth. We hear something we don't like, oh, that's a broad statement without evidence. Um, and, right. and, you know, they, they, he, they spend a lot of time saying that this new religion of anti-racism is trying to set up essentially people of color uh, as, as victims. And the whole point of it is just to sort of feel bad about that. Um, and, and he says there, there are no solutions. Where, where are the solutions? So his criticism that I heard him making is the same thing we're sort of saying. Like you're not being, you're not getting at the root of the problem and you're not being specific. And I think that's yep. an interesting, I, I'm, I'm trying to understand um, how, to, how to grapple with that and, and how to know that's not true. Can I jump in here? See, that, yeah. that's why I thought it was important to listen to Manicum and D'Angelo as a counter, listen, not a counter argument necessarily, but just another listen. And as our reader appropriately brought up in an email, that Resma and Robin aren't going after um, Sam and John in any way like Sam and John are going after them, right. or especially her. Um, so it's a little, it's not an apple samples, and it's not meant to be. Here's where I would, I, I agree with what you're saying. Let's examine our own tendencies to generalize, jump on the bandwagon, you know, and so on. And here's where I just feel like we know two things that I, I think we just know. And that whether D'Angelo 
and Menachem make a, like, overdo it or not, we could argue. But I think the two things we know are racism is systemic and structural, not just individual. There's no hint of that idea in Sam and John's discussion. Not, never, not a, even a peep. Well, and I think, I think they reject it. I mean, they mention it. Uh, I don't remember them even mentioning it. Yeah, they get into it a little bit but, in the beginning, I think. But I think they ultimately, they, do, they kind of reject the usefulness of talking about it as a systems problem. Okay, so that just, to, that to me is just, just, I, I don't, I can't get my head around that. And I don't, I'm not, I think we can at least acknowledge that there's a systemic nature, a structural nature. It's just how the world works. And I'm not saying that in any like woke way or sweeping generalization. I'm saying it more like, you know, the sun comes up, the sun goes down. Things function in a system. Racism is part of a system. There is systemic racism. There is structural racism. How big a deal it is, how it interfaces with people, that's maybe something to discuss. But I, don't, I just felt like they pretended like it didn't exist. But maybe oh. I got to re-listen. I, so yeah. let, me, let me jump in on this. Because I did think one thing that McWhorter said and I, that, that did resonate with me um, and I've, I've gone in different directions with this, is that one of the arguments he made was that the term racism has become so broad and so messy mm -hmm. that actually, basically, I think what he says is it, it means so many things, right? It means bigotry. It means systemic problems. It means, um, it means unequal outcomes. Uh, it, it means so many things mm -hmm. that... It is, it can't be understood or used in a meaningful way with most people. So, so he makes the argument, I think, that the term is, is so broad and messy. And he's, a, as a linguist, he says it's not bad that terms are messy, but that it can't be used for most of Americans. I think basically what he's saying is white Americans will never embrace this concept because it's too complicated for them to get their heads around because it means 15 different things. And there are times when I struggle with that myself, because when we say, you know, Trump is a racist, we're using a certain kind of thing, or that is racist. Um, and then when we yeah. say, well, we're all racist, we mean something different. And when we say, oh, the system of fu funding public schools is racist. So, mm -hmm. I, I mean, it, I, I think the complexity, we, I agree with you, that racism is systemic and that there are, um, but it's a complicated term that we still, I, I don't know if the goal is to get to a clearer understanding of it or not, but um, it, it, is, it is difficult that when we use this word, we mean so many different things or, or many things, many things at once. Okay, so I'll, I think that's, I can get behind that explanation. And that's what I guess I found strange with Sam and John's conversation. You have this linguist who acknowledges the complexity, but then like pretends it doesn't exist anymore. 
like that's what it got kind of confused me. And later in the thing, uses the same idea of oversimplification of a concept, phonics versus whole language, to explain something away to make a point, which again is highly complicated. So it's almost like he's, <laughs> that's why I had such a hard time. He was like circular to me. Like he's ma- making a point, but then almost undoing his point in the next breath. Um, so anyway, that's one issue. I just and, felt and, like, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, he, he, he definitely made a misstep with these listeners to wade into phonics whole language because <laughs> right. people may or may not know that we've devoted decades to, to, to uh, working in primary education, uh, early ele- uh, elementary education, and uh, have lived uh, the complexity of, of, of reading and writing. Um, and, and your wife, uh, let's say, would be a good voice to bring into that debate because she would school us all. <laughs> so. Well, what was interesting is she brought up to me, she's like, you know, he said that because of what's happened at Teachers College, which for everyone is part of Columbia, which is where he's a professor. The reading and writing project of Lucy Calkins only recently basically admitted that they needed to teach phonics. And that was like newsworthy in the education space because for a long time she didn't. Now I'm oversimplifying the issue, but John knew about it immediately. And I was like, that's probably why he's bringing it up. But again, this blunt instrument type of conversational style and using it as a way of making a point, I think only undoes the point by saying like, oh, I'm willing to use language willy nilly when it suits my purpose. And when it doesn't, I'm willing to kind of push it on other people. That was what really, I, this is like a tone issue, I guess, more than even more more than the content. I just felt like it wasn't a fair or deep or thoughtful examination. It was almost like a propaganda piece. And I just didn't. I was like, come on, like make your point, but like make it make it in a way that's not just speaking to the people that are already converted. Convert me. Teach me something. But don't just put, it was like, these people, this is what I think it was like. These people, these candy and so on, put everyone down. And then they went ahead just putting people down. The other idea that I really found lacking, well, this is the, no, it's not that I just found it lacking, but it's something that I've increasingly come to understand and accept is this idea of generational trauma and trauma generally and the impact of trauma. So clearly like that's Resma's, you know, focus, but he's, you know, doing his research that shows that 
our experiences in life can become transmitted to the next generation through changes in DNA and DNA expression, so on. Not some magical, mystical thing, but, you know, quote unquote, science. And so <laughs> I, I think that, uh, you know, that was just another thing. Let's just say the trauma piece would just seem so absent. This idea that like, we can make everything equitable, but that doesn't change what people have experienced and that the impact of that on how they kind of can take and make use of the world they're in. It, it seemed like they were just like pretending that didn't exist, that idea. It didn't make sense. Like we can say, let's say we wipe the world of whatever we want to call racism with a snap of the fingers. That doesn't mean that what people have experienced isn't going to impact them. And that just seems lost. What, what did they talk about that? And I missed that too. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I found it very interesting that they really moved into this, um, vision they started started to talk about like what's the goal here and interestingly and i think it was um sam harris who who started talking about colorblind society yeah. right and really yeah. talking about that as the goal what mcwhorter was saying was i think that if he, you know he was talking about we're in a place in society now where it doesn't help us to recognize, we want to be in a place where it doesn't help us to recognize differences. And he got into the whole, you know, once you're, once you're into a global society, there are so many differences. I think it doesn't make sense to build meaning from that. Yeah. Um, I mean, he didn't say it that way, but I, I found it interesting. Like I, I was conflicted, right? I, I, I was starting to ask myself, like, is the goal colorblind society? And I thought, well, maybe in some ways, but. But that goal is so far off, right. and what would it mean? Right. Menicum would say, you, you can't, there's going to be trauma that's going to come through anyway, right? Yeah. And I also feel like I think colorblind society is, is the wrong way to think about it because that, I, I don't know, I was a little baffled by, by what they were talking about there. I, um, and it seemed not useful. It just seemed like, well, what you're talking about is, is so not in the context of where we are, are what we are experiencing right now, as to be um, a little bit um, sort of a false idea to, to say there's any weight to it. Well, here's the thing that I think, so they're basically saying, right, it's not useful, or what's useful, what's not useful. Um, no, what you're saying is, you're not sure their idea is useful. And they go right. out of their way to basically say anti-racism isn't useful. And then they just kind of say, but this is. And yeah. without, without actually convincing people that are listening, us in this case, that it is useful. Again, like that's why I had a problem with it. Like, okay, so make your case. Stop saying their idea isn't useful, therefore de facto yours is, which is exactly what you're mad at them for. You know, so 
anyway, that, that just got stuck with me. But again, whether or not we're striving for some sort of future state of colorblindness, and that might be an interesting conversation, is that what we should be striving for? More importantly, in the current, current we, we are not in that situation, that even if that could occur, we're talking generations, and in the meantime, are we just pretending that people's experience doesn't impact what they do and how they move forward? I just don't get it. And so going back to what I originally said, I think they're either ignoring or kind of putting to the side the two big ideas. One, the systemic nature. Let's just call it the systemic nature of life. We don't even need to use the word racism, but just that life is a system where many things are interacting over time and within structures that are created and exist. And then two, that there is trauma, that trauma is real. Um, yeah, those two things, I think, um, and that trauma impacts you or your experience impacts you. I like the idea so those that are, life is systemic, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, of course, with maybe this is for another day, too, is this whole idea of racism as religion or anti-racism as religion. I think you and I could get going on this whole religion thing. Uh, I just, that was interesting to me. I had a strong reaction to that, too. But let me, let me pause on this and say, look, I think... I mentioned this in an email with our listener that we need to have some guests start to join the show. And I think our listener should be on soon to talk about what he's experiencing and thinking and to share his thoughts verbally and in dialogue. So I'm just putting that out there that I think that should happen uh, soon. Well, I I agree that the whole the nature of this is is conversation, right? Where we're trying to unpack and understand things that that we're hearing and reading and listening to and thinking about. And so, some other voices in here would be useful. I mean, I think as I listened to that podcast, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be interesting if they called up Robin D'Angelo or Ibrahim yeah. or Resma Medicum right now and had that voice? Because I wonder what conversation, I mean, I wonder what a conversation between um, McWhorter and Ibram Kendi would sound like, because they're certainly shouting at each other across the Twitterverse, um, or at least right. McWhorter <laughs> shouting at Kendi. I don't know how much it's reciprocal, um, but uh, there's, there's no conversation going on there. So, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what kind of luck we have uh, inviting our, our listener uh, to join us or, uh, and others, I think it would be fun to have some uh, over time, some different folks join us. It would be really good for us. It would be good for us. It would make our conversation better. Two other quick things. One, uh, 
you know, you mentioned that you didn't think Sam and John really got to, like, what do you do? Like, what's the actions? Where I think Resma and D'Angelo, but, you know, are saying white people need to, to do their, their stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and need to talk and need to dialogue and need to examine their thinking like we're doing. So I, I was kind of wondering out loud in my head, like, what would they think about what we're doing? Would they say that's, you know, like not worthwhile, not helpful? So that was one thing that just came up. Because I feel like Resma's given, and D'Angelo is given, actually some real things to do for white people. Um, yeah, I, I think and, they would say... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, was, I think they would say that we are both wasting our time and <laughs> desperately, desperately struggling to make ourselves feel better. I think that would be... <laughs> what McWhorter would say about all of this. Uh, so, uh, good. So here's my thing. I, don't, I, I won't speak for you, and I actually have a question for you on this. I don't feel bad. I'm not trying to make myself feel better. I'm trying to, like, figure out how to be in the world in a way that makes sense for me and the world. I don't have a lot of bad feeling. I'm trying to, you know, deal with here. I'm trying to evolve and grow as a human being in a complex world. That's that's what I'm trying to do. And, um, yeah, the other thing is, remember, this whole string of events occurred because our listener gave us that article to read because he felt like we had been basically too harsh on dissecting your experience with your webinar. Yeah. Right. That's how it all He started. was feeling bad. And so, <laughs> yeah. Right. And so this is my question for you. Like, do you feel bad or how do you feel? And like, why are you doing this? Like, now that you've had a little space and time around that issue and listened to these different podcasts and we've talked today, like put that experience in context for you. Yeah, I I don't feel bad. I didn't feel bad at the time. I felt curious and I felt uh, I thought it was interesting and fortunate that something had been recorded that would just give us fodder to talk about with some specificity about an interaction I had had. Um, and I, I mean, I have all the time in my life, I have feelings of regret about how I wish I had done certain things sure. differently or better. Uh, right. Yep. And sure. But I, I am intrigued. I guess I've always tried to be self-critical about what I'm doing and thinking. And that's not just about race. That's about anything. But we're right. at a time now where it makes a lot of sense to have a certain amount of focus on race. And I'm learning a lot about it. Uh, gender as well. We haven't talked about it as much. Right. Um, and so I find these, I mean, I look forward to these conversations and I don't see them as an opportunity to, you know, self-flog. Um, right. So. And I feel like, you know, that 
what you're saying is just another way of saying like you're a reflective person or you're striving to be ever more reflective. You're pointing your reflection in these moments at issues about race, whatever that word means in this context. You're having some opportunities to explore in real time with real context, and you're doing it in the spirit of growth, of development, and of acknowledgement that your growth and development supports the growth and development of the system you live in, you, you exist in. Would you buy all that? That makes it sound really good and worthwhile, so I'm, I'm, I'm buying it. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I feel like um, maybe now we're going, you know, making ourselves feel good. But I'm not saying that to make myself or you feel good. I'm doing it to make a point about what can be done. Like, what does it mean to do? Um, and, yeah. Reflection and growth seems like the doing. Um, all right. So this was a good conversation today. I appreciate it. Me too. It's been a while. It's been a couple of weeks since we talked, and I wasn't even sure if we were going to get into this topic today or not. Because um, I had some, I have a thought maybe for next time. Um, especially if we do something in the middle of, you know, we're right in the holidays here and I have, uh, I have some ideas about future conversations, but we can save that for our next chat. You don't want to, you don't want to give a teaser? No, because uh, who knows what direction we may go in between now and then, you know, I don't want to tease something that we, that we end up not committing to. So we'll see where we are. That's the, you know, these things are pretty organic for us. You know, we don't, we don't plan yeah. ahead too much. So let's keep going with that and see if it continues to work. Yep. All right. Well, how much? How many more miles have we got? Well, I two miles to get back home, and then I'll pick up my son, who for some reason last night said, "Dad, I gotta run with you tomorrow. I need a running plan. I gotta start running." So, you know, we'll see how long that goes. And uh, so I'll do four with him. I just did eight, or I'll have finished eight. So. Yeah, about halfway right now. Excellent. So thank you. Well, enjoy the father-son run, um, and uh, and I know you're you're warm and wearing the right gear. So you know preparation goes a long way. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what he's wearing. Um, <laughs> uh, well, you can always hand him right, your mittens if he gets cold. Right. <laughs> have a good weekend. The rest of the okay, week. Okay, you too. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to the three to ten project, episode ten. Life is systemic. Also, 
Thanks to Random Chiz for our theme music.